Hi, this is Ken Doherty, and you're listening to Red Devil Talk, the podcast with Jimmy Williams. Calling for it. James can only fist it. It comes for Cantona! I don't believe it! Well left by York, fed by Cole. Back to Andy Cole from Dwight York. Fantastic goal for Manchester United. Can Manchester United score? They always score. Gets with a shot! Sheringham! Name on the trophy! Beckham. It's a Sheringham! And Solskjaer has got it! Ready! Welcome to another episode of Red Devil Talk, the podcast. I am delighted to say I'm joined on the line this morning by Sammy McElroy. Before we get stuck into it, Sammy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for taking the time. No problem at all, Jimmy. I suppose for many fans, Sammy, you were their favourite player in the 70s. You brought them a lot of moments of joy. The memories they have of those moments are still clear to them. They still mean a lot to them. When I announced that I was doing this podcast with you, I received so many messages to pass on well wishes. Do you have any message back for those United fans? Oh, those fans um, are the best fans in the world, you know. I always class Manchester United fans, Northern Ireland fans, as, as the best in the world. They, they stick by their players 100%. And, and they like players who give 100%. And uh, no matter how you're playing, obviously, but if they can see you trying and give 100% for, for, for the club, they'll stick by you. They're fantastic fans. A lot of the fan questions are relating to pressure. How did you deal with the pressure of being a United at that time? I think of players recently like Memphis Depay, Di Maria, Alexis Sanchez. They all, you know, they failed to live up to expectation. They failed to deal with the pressure of being at United, I think. What was your approach and how did you deal with the pressure? because I've seen some players actually not being able to sort of live up to their expectations what they did with other clubs um, and it's, it's so sad because when they come to United you know they seem to either freeze or they seem to not have the confidence what they have or what they did have with other clubs and I find that a little bit strange I was quite fortunate coming through the ranks at United when I left Belfast uh, 14 years of age Side when I was 15 apprenticeship for two years so I grew into the club and watched the first team watched the reserves watched how they were training and stuff like that and that that sort of gave me a little bit of a help when I was through into the first team at the age of uh, 16 in friendly matches and then made my debut when I was 17 at Main Road in 1971 so I had an insight of the club what it was like um, when I used to watch the games when it was uh, the old Stratford end there and, and the crowd and the atmosphere, that gave me a little bit of a, an inkling of what was what was it expected of to play for the first team. So would it be fair to say that that insight into the club, as you've commented, made that transition a bit smoother, if you like? Well, smoother, uh, because obviously we're watching it, being grown up with, if you like, watching all those fantastic players playing in the first team, obviously Bestie, Dennis, Bobby, Paddy Crerin, you know, all, all, all the players in, in, in the European Cup went inside. They, you know, they, they were all like idols when I first went there in 69. And 
uh, it was a great privilege just to be at the club at that time. You touched on your debut there, City, age 17. How often are you asked about that? Um, well, I, I think obviously it's a long, long time ago, Jimmy. It's a long time ago, 1971. But even people still talk about that game when we were back at Old Trafford before this uh, pandemic hit. You know, people still always remember that derby. It was a fantastic game, six goals, three apiece. And, um, you know, there were some fantastic players on both sides on the pitch that day. And uh, it was a memorable derby, obviously, for myself, scoring and scoring in the debut. But, uh, yeah, people never seem to forget that one. And I'll never forget it, obviously, uh, scoring and uh, playing the first game against Manchester City. It's not a bad way to announce yourself to the fans. Yeah, but there again, it puts a little bit of pressure on you because then fans get expectations and you're supposed yeah, yeah. to be doing that all the time. But no, um, I played in place with the great Dennis Law that day as well and I didn't know until 11 o'clock on the Saturday morning that I would have been played. And, um, you know, to fill his shoes, there was, a, there was a bit of pressure on me. Was there a few butterflies or was the fact that you found out on such short notice actually better for you? To be honest with you, not really, because... I went to the ground that morning not expecting to play. I thought I was going to go along just to help out with the kit, you know, and um, help pick up the kit after the game and just get a little bit of maybe atmosphere being with the first team. And when I was told by Frank O'Farrell, the manager, that I, I would have been playing, I, I was playing at 11 and the debut that day against City, I'd really no time to have butterflies. You mentioned Frank O'Farrell there, a man who I suppose has been heavily criticised at times. What was your own relationship like with Frank? Obviously, Jimmy, I've got to, I've got to thank him for putting me in the team and having faith, faith in me and in in putting me in such a big game. Um, I, obviously, I, I, I had no sort of qualms with him. I was only a young boy coming into the first team at 17 years of age. And, you know, there was a, there was a few problems going around the club at that time, obviously, with the great George, George Best, having his problems as well. And... Uh, Players were coming to the end of their career. Fantastic players were coming to the end of their career. Bobby, Dennis, absolutely legends, uh, European Cup winners. And Franco Farrell came in at the time where, you know, things were just starting maybe to, to decline a little bit. Even though we were top of the league then at that, at that time and, um, the, the, you know, the great players were still doing their bit. But obviously... You know, there was just that, that little bit of decline in the side that was beginning to go. Players were actually near their end of packing the game in completely. I have a fan question on the United DNA. Often we hear the media, they say this player doesn't have the United DNA. Certain United managers, you know, they aren't coherent with United's DNA. What do you think the United DNA is? What does it look like? What makes a United player? I was brought up at the early age as I said I had a little bit uh, under Sir Matt as, as, as far as playing Sir Matt was absolutely fantastic with, with young players if you were good enough you were old enough and I always remember uh, on a trip to Bohemians we used to go to Dublin quite a lot in those days for friendly games because we had great support north and south of the border and um, Man United used to travel over there quite a lot and I went um, one time uh, we played against Bohemians 30,000 people at Daly Mount Park and uh, Sir Matt words were this place is packed we've got fantastic support from this side um, of Ireland and the north 
He says, go out there and entertain. That's all he said. And that stuck in my mind about entertainment, express yourself and, and send those fans home happy. And that always stuck in my mind uh, under the bridge of when he, when he said that. And that was all about United. I was brought up with the tech of football. If they score two, the opposition, we get three. That was the motto. Attack, attack. And, uh, you know, it was a fantastic way to sort of learn your trade at that stage. For many United fans, the Wolves FA Cup quarter-final replay in 76 are some of the most memorable moments they have as United fans. Nearly half a century on, I suppose, you know, those memories are still as vivid as the score of the winner in that game. What are your memories of that day? Unbelievable. I can remember we went 2-0 down. Um, I think we had an injury. I'm not too sure who it was. It might have been Lou McCarry or something. Um, and Brian Greenoff, I think, moved into midfield or was playing midfield. And uh, Brian was a big friend of mine. I room with Brian. Um, in my early days at Manchester United and we were 2-0 down and then we got a goal back um, and then Brand scored I think 2-2 and then I got the winner in 3-2 but that was the and then there's the spirit was unbelievable because even at 2-0 down we drew at Wolves or sorry we drew at Old Trafford as well that, uh, in that cup match and we had to go back to the Wolves for the replay if I can remember right and even at 2-0 down we still kept going and going and going. There was a great atmosphere at Wolves that night. Um, under the floodlights, and the ground was packed, and uh, I happened to get the winner in, in extra time. But once we got to 2-1, I always thought, with the spirit we had in the side, that we could go on and get something from the game. And uh, we finished out 3-2 winners and went all the way to Wembley. Describe for me, if you can, the, the atmosphere in the dressing room after that game it must have been absolutely buzzing oh it was buzzing because you know you're coming back from 2-0 down and a lot of teams would have surrendered but quarter final of the cup I think it was as well uh, I think and um, they get in the semi-final there was a magnificent buzz in the, uh, in the dressing room and especially the way we came back to win the game um, you know we were we buzzing all the way back on the coach and uh, you know we couldn't wait to the next game that's the way that team was in them days. You know, to, we played, we played with, with, with passion, we played attack, everyone defended, everyone went forward. And uh, even if, when we went to go down, we still had the uh, that tenacity to get back into the game. Another fan question, Sammy. Uh, you scored a hat-trick, of course, famously, on the day that Brian Robson signed for the club on the pitch. Were you more fired up than normal on that day? Did you see Brian as a threat to your place in the team? Not really, Jimmy, no, not really at all. I, I, Brian Robson was a fantastic player. And once uh, Big Ron got the job, everyone knew at the club that he was going to go for Brian and Remy Moses. It was well documented. Two good players, two fantastic players. Uh, as it proved to be with Robbo, he was a great staller through the years he was there. And um, a lot of people were saying that Brian was bought to replace me. And that, that's wrong. We were two do- totally different players. Um, but... You know, he, he, when Brian came that day and signed on the pitch, I got a hat trick. So you can imagine what the papers were saying the next day. It was, uh, I, I, I quite had a little bit of a snigger about it because I kept the match ball after that game. And in the, and in the uh, players' lounge after the game, Brian signed the ball, Brian Robson, 
the most costliest substitute <laughs> in the league. You know, so Brown took it in good spirit. And then we, we knew each other that he didn't come to replace me. Big Rob was always going to bring him to the club. And I guess top players thrive under that challenge. They enjoy that competition, that new challenge. Absolutely. You know, when he came to the club, we all knew what type of player he was because I played against him on a few occasions. He was doing really, really well at West Brom. West Brom were quite one of our bogey teams, believe it or not, in them days. And um, I think that's why Big Ron got the job. I know he was the first choice manager uh, to replace Dave Sexton. But um, when he came, you know, we knew that he always used to do well against us, especially down at the Hawthorns. And he, he, he got an odd result at Old Trafford as well. So we, were, we weren't really shocked when he got the job. I'd like to ask you about your departure from the club, if that's okay. How difficult was it to to accept that, to process that? Shocking. Absolutely shocking. Um, and really, Jimmy, uh, uh, years and years and years after the event, uh, I made the wrong decision. Um, I should have listened to my father and, and said, listen, stick it out, you'll be all right, hang on. But when Big Ron called me in, to say that there was an offer on the table, it sort of hurt my pride a little bit. And um, I threw my dummy out, if you like, and, and went and, and signed for Stoke, which uh, Stoke were fantastic, don't get me wrong. Obviously, not the same class as Manchester United, but they looked after me fantastic. The supporters did as well. But really, my pride was hurt, and that's the reason why I hastily signed for Stoke when I should have just stuck on in there. Because Atkinson did say to me, even though he did say about this offer from Stoke, down the lane, you know, he, he could say that I, he could stay, I'm not making this decision. But the way the club was at that time, Jimmy, the money wasn't great. The Bravo went for one point odd, whatever million. Remy Moses for 500,000. They had to recoup some money. Talk about Ray Wilkins going. Jimmy Nicol went, went, Mickey Thomas went, and then, as I say, he's, he, he, he said to me about an offer from Stoke. But I should never I should never have left at that time. In terms of the psychological impact, you just said it was shocking. Did it take a bit of time to get over it? I never really... That part of the season, I think it was February, uh, when I went to Stoke, Man United was always in my mind always in my mind and uh, as I say no disrespect to Stoke, to Stoke but there was many a time I was driving down the motorway to Stoke which was only 35 minutes from my house I knew I didn't make the right football decision I knew that but Big Ron's got to take part of the blame as well the way he handled the situation and um, I held that against him for many, many years this podcast is brought to you in association with Classic Retro Shirts. Classic Retro Shirts sell a large variety of retro jerseys from a number of clubs and countries and are very prominent on Manchester United. United season ticket holders themselves, giving fans a chance to look back through history. Classic Retro Shirts are on Instagram at Classic Retros 2 or you can visit their website at classicretros.co.uk. To get a £10 discount off your purchase, you can use the code RDT10 at the checkout on the website or you can send the code via direct message to their Instagram. Classic Retro Shirts.
I want to ask you about the 1977 Cup final. Can you give us some insight with regard to the team mood pre-game? Of course, you were underdogs for that one. Well, can I just say about the 76 one first? Um, when we were odds on favourites to beat Southampton, um, it's the quickest final. Everyone, every footballer in them days wants to play in the Wembley Cup final. I don't care what people say about winning championships. Of course, Man United wanted to win championships because we hadn't won it since the 60s. But the playing in the FA Cup final was every footballer's dream. And that day, when you walk out of Wembley, it's an experience a footballer will never have. If, you never, if you've never ever actually played in a cup final, that feeling you'll never get to walk out in front of 100 or 1,000 people at Wembley in a cup final is second to none. The noise, you can see your supporters at one end of the ground and round to the halfway line, the colour, everything was unbelievable. And uh, that 76 cup final was the quickest game of football I've ever been involved in. It flew by. Like, uh, like I've never seen a game go by and we lost at 1-0 as you know but um, that famous saying Tommy Duck says at the town hall uh, when we went back we will be back next year at Wembley in 77 and we will win the FA Cup maybe we tongue in cheek but it was proven to be right and we beat the many Liverpool which is a fantastic day and again the colour the support that United we had that day was absolutely like a 12th man they were magnificent at Wembley that day and we win the cup, which was brilliant. We made up for 76. We've talked about 76. We've talked about 77. In contrast to the high of 77, I want to ask you about 79. How did United blow that one? Oh, the four-minute final, a lot of people talk about. Yeah. Um, I've watched that cup final over a couple of times recently and we had chances that game. But everything we hit that day, Big Pat Jennings was always in the right place at the right time. Even if we scuffed a couple, which many went then Big Pat seemed to be there. And then with four minutes to go, Big McQueen pulls one back and we are thinking, oh, is it too late? Then obviously I get the equaliser and I'm thinking, take it in the extra time. Because I looked around at the Arsenal team and I knew quite a few of them. Big Pat was on his on his knees. Sammy Nelson, Pat Race, O'Leary, Walford, they were all on their knees. And I'm thinking, extra time, we have got this. I really did think that. But unfortunately, Jimmy, I didn't get the extra time. They went straight up the field and scored. And that four minutes in that final, I'll never forget. Never forget. You're up there one second, and you're on your knees a final second, and we've lost the cup. Unbelievable. Can you give our listeners any insight with regard to the mood in the dressing room after that game? Was there any pointing of fingers, blame about the fact that Liam Brady's cross probably should have been shot down? Yeah, there was talk about we should have brought Brady down, but we weren't that type of team, if you know what I mean. We haven't got that sort of player um, to actually... I know some of the players I've played against around about that time would have took Brady out by the waist, put him in the stand. But we weren't that type of player, you know, and uh, players, and we just tried to maybe nick the ball off him. That's the way we were. Um, but 
I always remember Big McQueen. I think Big McQueen had a bit of a sly go at Gary Bailey. Nothing what you call robust, but that about, you know, what about the cross and this and that. Only a little bit of stuff like that. And then Big Harry Gregg, who was a goalkeeper coach at the time, stood up for Gary Bailey and said, do not take any flag. Blah, blah, blah. Get on with it. And that's all. We were, we were so disappointed at they getting it back to 2-2 two, two, and mm-hmm. losing it the way we did. Dressing was like a morgue afterwards. Of course, you scored, and it's one of United's great cup final goals. Is there a tinge of sadness attached to that goal? Given the fact that you lost, is it difficult to look back at that goal with, with joy? There is a tinge of sadness around the goal. It's great, it's great Jimmy, to score the cup final. Um, I mean, 76, go back to that. I hit the bar, uh, underneath the bar which I should have scored with, but it came across so quick, a, a, a flick on, I think, by Stuart Pearson, and a dive that it hit the underneath the bar. If that goes in, we probably win the cup that day in 76. But then to score in 79 and still lose it, I don't really have much satisfaction looking back at that goal, to be honest with you, because Wembley's a shocking place to lose. People talk about that goal to me, but I just try and get it out of the, the system as quickly as possible because we came away not winning the cup, you know, and uh, it's no use scoring if you don't win. One fan wants to know what's your opinion on the modern game. I suppose at times certain United players have been criticised, they have been accused of being more interested in their social media accounts, more interested in self-promotion. In comparison to your era where it's thought that players gave more but for far less reward, what's your opinion on the modern game? Snapchat and all this here going on, and which obviously we didn't have in our day. So players now can they can have so many followers, and I think players spend more time in that. Some of them on what they do on the on the training field, uh, looking after their game. If they looked after their game more than what they do on social media, you might get a, you might get a, a a better return. But that's the way the game's gone now. Everything's social media. Uh, players are on it. Players have got millions of followers. And uh, sometimes I think it may affect players this day, where in our day, we hadn't got that on our mind. All we were thinking about was playing well, staying in the team, and looking forward to the next game. But there's so much happening now for these players. They've got their own businesses. They've got their own, as I say, followers. And uh, sometimes I think it overtakes their, their, their vision of the game. These days... With, with people, the way they kiss the bags, the way they do this and do that, they didn't really, they don't care about the club the way we used to care about the club. We don't care what anyone says. That's for the supporters kissing the badge. But when we, when we did it, we meant it. I received many questions about the great flamboyant Tommy Doherty. Can you tell us a story we might not have heard about Tommy? Uh, oh no, the duck, the duck was a flamboyant character. Absolutely fantastic and flamboyant. And we all like playing for him. He had his moments. The doctor used to fall out with players. Of course, if you're at a club five, six, whatever years he was there, Tommy, you're going to have fallouts with players. But that was soon forgotten. And, you know, Doc had his standards as well. But me, I was fortunate enough to get home with him very well. And uh, I played a lot of football under Tommy Doherty. And, uh, and the way he played, it was like the way it should be played for Manchester United. We played with wingers. 
we attacked, we defended together. Training was enjoyable, but uh, you had to do it right as well. You know, you had to you had to give a hundred percent, and then you know you'd have fallouts with certain players. But that that's the way it was in those days. You had your fallout. You maybe knocked on the manager's door, and um, and had a word with him. Then it was finished. But I remember we went on a world tour in the seventies. We won the second division. And we went on a world tour for five weeks, five and a bit weeks, all over the place, Jimmy. It was horrendous trouble. Absolutely horrendous trouble. But we went through Indonesia and the Scottish players, with McCurry, Alec Forsyth, Martin Buckin, maybe another one, Jim Houghton, maybe, I'm not too sure, couldn't go because they had a European Championship game in, in some part of Europe. So they were joining us later on in the tour. So we get to Indonesia and we have enough players to put a team out, but not enough subs. So Tommy Duck put himself on the substitute bench that day. Sorry, that night. We're playing in front, I think we're playing this Indonesian team. There was an Indonesian side, Man United and Ajax were in this sort of tournament. We're playing this Indonesian uh, team in front of 100,000 people in 30, 30, 40, 34 degrees or something. The heat was unbelievable. Anyway, pick the team, Tommy Duck's up, Robin pre match meal, and I'm seeing Tommy Duck on his table with the rest of the staff, and he's drinking a few glasses of wine. And he's sunk that night. Anyway, we start the game. These Indonesians are a little bit robust, they're starting kicking us. Gets a little bit tasty. Second half, Tommy Duck comes on. He's had a few glasses of wine in him. First two tackles, he puts two Indonesians on the floor and the referee sends them off. So that was the duck. Uh, as I say, flamboyant, but hard on his sleeve at times. And uh, as I say, I enjoyed my work under him. It was fantastic. What a character. Character, total character. Absolutely. I had a conversation with Gordon Hill not long ago actually and he told me that he bumped into you by accident on a beach in Ibiza and that's when he found out about the sacking of Tommy that's right it was actually Gordon Hill that told me yeah. I think because I was on that was on this uh, pedal boat and Hilly, Hilly was a bit of a character as well you didn't know what Hilly was going to do next and all of a sudden I'm, I'm not a swimmer Jimmy by the way but I've got my son on this uh, boat with me and I, the boat starts shaking, and I'm thinking, what the bloody hell's happening? And it was Gordon Hill with a snorkel underneath the bloody water, <laughs> shaking the boat. Anyway, pops his head off, takes his mask off, and it's, it's hilly. And he told me what had happened, and everyone was surprised. We didn't know what was going on at all. Not a clue what was going on with the situation, and the dog got the sack. An unusual situation, I think it's fair to say, that United found themselves in. I don't really need to go into that. It's well documented, it's there. People know what happened. But what was your own view on the situation? I was very sad, but at the end of the day, I knew Laurie Brown very well. Laurie, fantastic man. What could you do with Laurie Brown? If it was an awkward situation, I don't know what would happen these days, but we had something going for us in that team. Maybe we a few additions. I think we could have pushed for a championship. I really do. That's my opinion. But with a duck goal just after winning the cup in 77, it was a quite of a shock for all of us. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Gordon Hill uh, mentioned similar 
that he felt under Tommy United could have possibly won the league. No doubt about it. Football ways, supporter ways, the press loved him. If he had got some extra players in, and I'm not saying a lot of players because we're a good little team. Maybe some players who knew how to win a league or knew our style of football, how, how to come into that. You never know, Jimmy. I think you could have pushed Liverpool. I really do. This next question comes in from Johnny on Twitter. Uh, he wants to know, what was it like playing under Dave Sexton in comparison to Tommy Doherty? Totally different because the way the Doc had is, the way Dave had is, Dave was like, and this there's no disrespect to, to either manager because I enjoyed playing under both managers. Dave tried to make us a wee bit different than Tommy's teams. When I say structured, I don't mean to have a go at Tommy there. Because we were flamboyant uh, under on on the Tommy. You know, we knew what we were doing, how to attack and everything. Dave just held their reins back a little bit. Still, obviously, wanted us to play attack and football and win, but not the way the Doc used to do it. And I think some of us, even though we all liked Dave, Dave was a fantastic, lo- lovely man. And it just was a tinge different the way we used to play on the Doc. Dave wanted us a little bit more structured, a little bit more, maybe a little bit more safe than the way we used to play under Tommy Dock. But we got the cup final in 79 and we finished second to Liverpool under Dave Sexton. So um, Dave lost it, I think, down to football reasons other than anything else. And he wasn't great for the press, where the Dock was fantastic for the press. Dave didn't really like handling the press. But um, we were in the paper every night with Tommy Dock saying something about United where Dave was very, you know, we'd pick his words and pick his moments to talk to the press. Some former players have commented that Dave's training sessions were boring. They've said they were awful. Is that an opinion you share or do you think that's a bit harsh? Boring maybe a wee bit, a wee bit uh, strong, but I understand where they're coming from. I mean, he used to make us do certain things like Hungarian turns, if you know what that means, and stuff like that, and shooting and stuff. As I say, he tried to structure us a little bit more in certain areas. And uh, maybe that's what the players mean. Where, where the Ducks training was always brilliant. It's about games, uh, doing things that we could do in a game. Uh, where David maybe looking a little bit more at the opposition and, and, and stuff like that. And, I can understand where they're coming from, but maybe boring, just a, just a tinge strong. I want to finish on a positive note. Out of the players you've played with, who makes your five-a-side team? Oh, my God. And That's the hardest question. I can pick them all. In that 70s team that I played with, under, under the dock, and Dave Sexton, I've played with some fantastic players. And for me, to pick a five-a-side a five team would be so hard and difficult. Seriously, Jimmy. Even big Alex Stephanie was a great five-a-side player, and he was a goalkeeper. He scored goals for fun at five-a-sides, big Alex. Uh, but uh, it'd, be, it'd be so difficult, and, uh, and it would be so upset to leave people out yeah. because they were all great lads. They, they, they were all great lads and, and great to play with that team. Great, fantastic. You're a gent. I appreciate your time. Really enjoyed that. I'll speak to you soon. All the best, Jimmy. 
Thanks for listening to Red Devil Talk. We hope you enjoyed our latest episode and don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Red Devil Talk. If you listen on an Apple device, please consider leaving a review and a five-star rating. If you have any questions or comments or want more information on Red Devil Talk podcasts, you can get in touch via email at reddevil talkmedia at gmail.com.